All right, good morning, church. Let's pray before we open up God's word here together. Heavenly Father, we just want to tell you that we love you. You are the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. God, we need you today. Father, I praise you and thank you that we're able to gather, even if it's online for a little while and churches all around the world are gathered to get, get gathered today. And uh, Lord, we love you. We want to ask that your name be praised, your name be lifted up in the season that we're in. Father, we want to pray against the spread of this virus. Father, I pray health over our church body and the surrounding community, that it would be far away from here, that there would be no more lives taken. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that faith would arise today, that we would be a church body that doesn't live in fear or anxiety, but God, that we live with a vibrant faith that uh, the church has had from the very beginning, confident that you are a God who hears our prayers and, and responds on our behalf. So God, we give you our time today, and we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come, and would you speak to us today? Would you make us receptive to the things that you want us to hear so, Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you this day, and it's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray, amen and amen. Church, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, I'm just kidding, but uh, it is good to see you guys again, even though I'm not actually seeing you, but you get to see me. But I'm, I'm very, very thankful that you decided to tune in today and join us together online. I've got a couple of announcements for us before we open up God's Word here together. Uh, first off, if you've not gotten into online giving, I want to encourage you. This is a great time to go ahead and do that. You can go to dallasbible.org backslash give. Many of you guys have been asking, asking how you can be involved and how you can be connected to the different needs that are going on in our community and around the church. And honestly, this is one of the best ways that you can do this. In this season that we are social distancing, we are not out there rubbing shoulders with other people, one of the ways that you can do that is by continuing to give specifically to uh, our Benevolence Fund. And if you go online, you have an option to go on there and designate funds specifically to a Benevolence Fund. Now, many of you are asking, okay, what in the world is a Benevolence Fund? If you're not familiar with what that is, a benevolence fund is a one-time emergency fund for people that are connected to Dallas Bible Church and that have a financial need, okay? And so it's, uh, you don't actually have to be a member of Dallas Bible. However, you do need to be connected and you do need to have a legitimate financial need, which many of you guys do uh, in a season like this. And so if that's you, we want to hear from you. It is not a burden. We encourage you, please reach out to us. Let us know how this thing is impacting you because we want to be a church that comes around you in your time of need. The other thing I want to encourage us with is that this would be a season that we stay connected to one another. And so I want to encourage you also to go to dallasbible.org backslash care. Uh, you can stay connected with us that way. Uh, if you've not had a chance to opt into the different emails, you can follow the links that are at the top of your screen. You can follow us online through social media, Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube Live, which many of you guys are joining us this morning doing one of those three things. But those are very easy for us. To, it's easy for you to find, those, find us on social media uh, simply by searching for us. Um, or looking us up or following, again, the links that are at the top of your screen. But we want to stay connected to you. We also want to understand how you're being impacted in the season that we're in. And so, again, I encourage you, please go dallasbible.org backslash care. You can follow the link that was emailed out to you guys last week about that. But we want to get a pulse of how you're being impacted in the season, specifically how you're being impact, impacted physically, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. And so we want to come along and we want to know, okay, what are the needs that you have? How can we come and support you in this season? And how can we pray for you in this time? Because we know that many of us are being impacted in ways, even if you're not actually getting sick, the, uh, the impact is far more wide-reaching than just whether or not you're getting sick. Uh, this past week, early on in the week, Kat and I were driving to downtown Frisco. 
This is before the lockdown took place, but we were headed out to the Heritage Table, which is our favorite restaurant in town. Thank you, Rich. Love your stuff, and thanks for being open and doing curbside delivery at this time. But we were driving down to downtown Frisco, and I was just reminded of how desolate and empty and how much of a ghost town everything really was at this time. It was very much a sobering visual reminder of how widespread uh, the impact really is. I mean, we're talking about 3.3 million Americans today that have been laid off and are struggling to pay the bills. I mean, we're talking about an entire restaurant and service industry that's been completely decimated by the things that have taken place. I mean, it's the parents that are now homeschooled teachers. They've never been homeschooled teachers a day in their life. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know how to teach math to their kids. Yet all of a sudden, we're now homeschooled teachers responsible for doing this with their kids. It's the working parents who have full-time jobs that have now been brought into the home and Maybe you have an office at home to work from, maybe you don't, but now you're doing your work from home, you're all right on top of each other, and on top of that, you're doing homeschool with a number of different kids and trying to figure out all those different kinds of things. It's people who are needing to retire that are not able to retire anymore because the stock market and the, and the market is completely crashed. Church, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about just billionaires that are losing a little bit in the, in the, in the, in the market crash. We're talking about very real people with very real health limitations and things like that, that are not able to retire or not able to take care of real needs. We're talking about the elderly who are afraid and sitting at home alone. We're talking about shut-ins who are in assisted living and, and can't receive visitors anymore. Church, like that's the enormity of what's going on today. And so I just want to say on behalf of the church that if that's you, if any of those things kind of hit you where you are today, just want to say on behalf of the church that we love you, that we see you, we genuinely want to walk alongside you and help care for you in your time of need. And I also want to take this opportunity to remind us, church, like that's who we are. We're family. We are family. We have been given the right to be called children of God, which means you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We've been brought into, adopted by God through Jesus Christ, brought into this brand new family. And family takes care of family. It's what we do, church. It's what we've always done from the very beginning. I mean, this past week, I heard an incredible story about our very own Ellie Langston. This is just before the sh shelter-in-place order came into effect. She heard the news about it, immediately went over the Circle One Closets, which is the ministry that she runs for kids in the surrounding community after school. And she went in there and started making care packages for all the children that she wasn't going to be able to see, really probably for the next month or so. And so she went in there and filled all these bags with toys, with puzzles, with crayons, with coloring books, with projects and things like that, Bible verses. And then she put on her little hazmat suit, her, her rubber gloves, and her little face mask, and went around to three different apartment complexes, knocking on the doors of the families of those kids. And as soon as they opened up, she stepped back six feet, social distancing in place, and they came to the door, and she just said, just wanted to let you know that we love you. There's a church around the corner that cares about you. There's a God who sees you, and we want to be praying for you in this season. And she went on. She told these kids how they can continue finding their free meals through Richardson Independent School District and how to go do that. But she just knocked on these doors simply to say, hey, look, we love you. Church, that's what we're talking about doing in this season. Like we're a church, we're not just a church that gathers together in a building. We're a family. We've been brought into this family, and like family takes care of family. I'm hearing other stories in the church of people calling on other families that they know that they are in need, but they also know that they'll never reach out and say, I need help. And so they're calling them and filling out benevolence forms on their behalf with their permission, of course. But they're doing this because they know that so many of us are typically in positions to help other people. And we don't like being the people that need help in a season like this. And so the family's coming around and they're saying, we want to come and we want to do this. Again, church, like that's what family does. Family takes care of family. And they always have from the very beginning. 
We read about it in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read that believers were selling everything that they had, and they were giving to people who are in need. Church, why in the world would you do that unless something bigger were taking place? Unless you knew that you were a part of a brand new family. Like, that's what family does. The passage continues in verse 46, and it says that every day they continue to meet together through Facebook and YouTube Live and Zoom and church websites and things like that, which the original Greek, you're going to have to take my word on that one. But it says that they broke bread and they ate together in their homes. And then they shared those pictures on social media, of course, because that's what you do. But it says that they did it with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Like church, that's what family does. Like we stay connected in times of crisis. We keep calling one another. We keep praying for one another. We keep lifting up each other's needs. Like we pay a bill if we're able to pay a bill. We, we, we give to a benevolence fund. If we can continue giving to a benevolence fund to take care of brothers and sisters who are in need. We pick up groceries for people who can't go and pick up groceries for themselves. And then here's the beauty of what God does on the back end of the whole thing. In verse 47, we're going to read that the Lord just added to their number daily those who are being saved. And so the church just kept doing the things that they needed to do. Love one another, serve one another, keep preaching the gospel. And it says that the, the Holy Spirit just added to the number daily those who are being saved. I was reminded of Julian the Apostate this past week. Uh, he wrote about this to one of his friends. This is in the 4th century. He was a 4th century Roman emperor. He was a heavy persecutor of the church, but he hated uh, this about the early church. And so he writes this to one of his friends, and he says, These despised Christians are growing so fast because they not only care for their own poor and despised, but they're caring for ours too. And so I love that. Isn't that awesome? Like he's, he's actually angry at how well the church loves the entire community, not just their own, but also their enemies, the people that are persecuting them too. But church, like that's what happened. In the very beginning, the church just kept loving one another. They kept serving one another and they kept faithfully preaching the gospel. And the Lord just kept adding to their number daily those who are being saved. And so this morning, all I want to do is I want to remind you of those two things. Number one, we are family. Church and family takes care of family. It's who we are. We've been brought into a brand new family, and family takes care of family. And so I want to encourage you, would you look around at your community of believers, and would you take note of where there's legitimate need, and would you say, Lord, is there anything that I can do to help meet those needs and bring those to the attention of the church? We want to come and be that kind of family that cares for people that have legitimate needs. Second thing I want to remind us of, church, is that the church has never, ever, ever needed much to flourish. Right? The church has just never needed very much to flourish. Like all they've needed was the indwelling Holy Spirit and a steady diet of, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the apostles' teaching, which is God's word for us today. Christian fellowship, even if it's online for a little while through Zoom and things like that. The breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper to remind us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then prayer. Like those four things, it's all that they had to go on. Church, you, you, you've, you've got to remember they didn't have these fancy buildings. They didn't have comfortable chairs or air conditioning. They didn't have live streaming or any of these things. And so all they did was gather together in tiny little homes around God's word, biblical fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And what ended up happening is the Holy Spirit breathed life into them, filled them with courage, and filled them with strength. And the gospel just kept advancing in a time that was otherwise filled with fear and sickness, persecution, and disease. And so here's what I want to do today, church. Like, all I want to do is I want to bring us back to the truth of God's word this morning, and then I want to wrap it up with a time of prayer, asking that God would do the exact same thing for us, that he would breathe life into us, and that today he would fill you with strength, he would fill you with courage, and that the church would come together and continue being the church 
and that he would come and he would add to our number daily those who are being saved. And so if you have your Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go from verse 24 through 35. If you didn't have your Bible today, uh, guess what? You're at home, and so it's a really easy one for you to find. You can go to your bedroom and pull it out there and follow along. Uh, if you did not, if you're not able to do that, it's a little bit too much. Of course, you can easily follow along on the screen and, and do it that way too. But uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. Now, if you remember from our Life of Christ series, which is a couple of years back, uh, this passage is going to land in the middle of the famous Sermon on the Mount, so named because Jesus is preaching this entire sermon from the next couple chapters from the side of a mountaintop to a large gathering of people. So this is him preaching uh, in such a way. So the, the topic that he's talking about is he is essentially rebuking the religious hypocrisy of the elites in his day. And what he's doing is he's raising the bar of morality to essentially say that true righteousness is not just external right? True righteousness is not just what you do. The fact that, hey, everybody knows you as a religious person, or you have a lot of the Bible memorized, or you're always there at church on Sunday, or whatever it may be. True righteousness is not just what you do on the outside. True righteousness is what you do on the outside, but what begins on the inside in your heart. And so that's what Jesus wants to know. He wants to know what's truly going on in your heart. I want to know why you do the things that you do. And so this entire sermon is very, very probing. It's invasive. Uh, and he's talking about all kinds of matters of the heart, things like lust. And he's saying, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, you shouldn't even be lusting over someone who's not even your spouse. Like That's what he's saying right here. You've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. I'm telling you, you shouldn't even be angry or hateful towards someone else around you. And so he's probing and saying, hey, it's great that you're not doing those things. I want to know what's going on on the inside. And so he continues with that as we get to chapter 6. But by this time, he's going to apply it specifically to money and specifically to the anxiety that we feel when it feels like we don't have enough. And so I don't know how this whole thing is really impacting you today, but if you've had a little bit of fear or anxiety about the financial impact that's coming your way, then I'm absolutely certain like God has a word for you this morning in this particular passage. So pick it up with me in verse 24. I want to read the entire section in its entirety, and then we'll talk about this. But here's what he says. Jesus begins and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and you're going to love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. And then I love how he wraps it all up. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love how he wraps that last one up. Don't worry about tomorrow because essentially today is bad enough. I don't know if any of you are kind of freaking out by that, kind of going, okay, yeah, here's the problem with tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to soon become today, and today's kind of a, a whole bunch of troubles. It's not, it's not so great right now, and so I'm kind of freaking out, but it's exactly why Jesus preaches this sermon right here. So 
A couple of the things that I appreciate what he does right here is he's not saying that your problems aren't really problems. That's not what he's doing. Like he's not, he's not minimizing the problem and saying, hey, just get over the fact that there's a virus spreading around. People are homebound. You're not able to work. He's not saying get over these things. And he's not minimizing that these things are legitimate problems. In fact, he actually says, he says, the father knows that you need these different kinds of things. He already knows this, right? It's not a, it's not a surprise to him. He's also not saying that you shouldn't be paying attention to your concerns or that you have no responsibility in this entire thing. It's not what worry is, right? Worry, very specifically, is a state of anxiety or unease where one's mind is continuously overcome with fear about real or perceived trouble. That's what worry is. It takes a legitimate concern, a legitimate problem going on in the world around you, and it dwells on that problem from a place of fear rather than from a place of faith, believing what God can do in the middle of this thing. And so he's not talking about ignoring legitimate concern in your life. All he's saying is there's a way to address these concerns right now. There's a way to address the pandemic and the things that are limiting us today in such a way that does not leave you crippled with fear. And so right off the bat, like he's going to talk about a couple problems that he, that he brings up when it comes to entertaining worry. Number one, he's simply going to say that it's not helpful for us to worry. Like it doesn't actually help anything. That's what he says in verse 27. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Of course not. Like you don't get more than 24 hours a day. Like can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No, you, 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 it doesn't help anything. I heard a pastor say it like this one day. He says, worrying is like paying interest on a debt that you may not even owe. And I think he's absolutely right about that. But most of the time, like all we do when we worry is we freak out about a million different scenarios that'll probably never even take place. Like, that's what we're doing. And so, no, it doesn't add anything to your life by entertaining worry, right? In fact, um, if we're being really honest, I think we can actually say that it actually damages your life more than anything else. I was reading an article by Dr. Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic recently, but here's what he said about that. He said, excessive worry affects the circulation of blood, the heart, the glands, and the entire nervous system. Though I've never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot of people who've died from worry. So if you need something else to worry about, you can worry about your worry because that is more damaging to you than most of the time the things that we are (laughs) worried about or anxious about in the first place. But the whole point of what Jesus is saying right here is that it's just not very, it's not helpful. It doesn't add anything to your life by entertaining worry. The other problem that we're going to see is it's just flat out wrong to entertain your worry. In other words, it's a matter of sin. And this is, I think, probably where it's going to get a little bit tricky because most of us don't think about worry or anxiety. We're not talking about the medical type that you need medicine for or something like that. We're talking about the, the, the things that most of us deal with on a daily basis. Most of us don't think about fear or anxiety or worry in terms of sin. Most of us think about it as a natural response to very real problems that are going on in our world around us, right? We, we think about it like, hey, this is part of my personality type. My personality type happens to be more anxious about things, about things that other people are. And so three different times, like, Jesus is going to come in and he's going to command you not to worry. He's not saying, hey, it might be good for you not to worry. You may want to think about not worrying. He commands us not to worry. Verse 25, he's going to say, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Verse 20, 31, like, don't worry about food or provision. Verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, he says. In other words, like it's not a normal, healthy part of our life or personality type that you are born into. For Jesus, what he's saying is this is a matter of whether or not you're going to trust God or you're going to trust the things that you're able to see and control. In other words, this is a matter of whether or not you're going to be faithful to him. And it's a matter of sin for Jesus. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about worry and anxiety like that before. Like, have you? Have you ever thought about it in terms of sin? 
that, it, that it's actually wrong to continue to entertain your worry today. I mean, have you ever put about it, put, thought about it in, in the same category as thou shalt not steal or lie or murder or commit adultery or anything like that? I mean, that's what he's talking about right here. And we got to understand that one of the reasons that he commands us over 366 times in Scripture not to fear or not to worry is because worry is one of those problems that keeps giving birth to a million other problems. I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture. Like Exodus 32, the Israelites are worried about being abandoned by God, and so they build an idol to a golden calf, and it brings, upon the, brings on the judgment of God in the end. In Numbers chapter 13, they're worried about defeat, and so they stop trusting in the word of the Lord, and it keeps an entire generation of Israelites from entering the promised land. 1 Samuel 15, same thing. Like Saul's worried about the future, and so he ends up disobeying God, and he ultimately loses the kingdom. Like that's what I mean when it says that it keeps giving birth to other problems. Fear keeps us from trusting him, keeps us from following him, keeps us from walking with him, which brings on a whole world of other problems. I love the way that John Piper talks about this. He says, think about the number of sins that are connected to the sin of worry. Worry about money will cause you to hoard or steal. Worry about success will make you irritable and impatient with people around you. Worry about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent toward other people. Worry about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch the truth. If worry could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to so many other sins. And it's exactly what, what Jesus is going to be getting at right here. And so three different times, church, he commands you not to worry. And you got to understand it's, <clears throat> it's not just because it's unhelpful. It's not just because it's actually damaging to our psyche or to our physical health or spiritual health or anything like that. And it's not just because of the different problems that it creates. Fundamentally speaking, the reason this is such a big deal is because it reveals that we've lost all confidence in the love of God for you and the power of God to provide for you. In other words, it's a matter of faith. Do you believe him to come into your situation and to provide for you better than you can provide for yourself? I mean, church, that, that's always the lie of anxiety, is it not? I mean, anxiety comes in and says, there's no one who's gonna care about your problem more than you, and there's no one better at handling your problem than you are. Like, that's always what the lie of anxiety says. There's no one who cares about your kids or your future or your bank account or any of these things more than you are, and you're the best one that's able to handle it, right? And so in verse 26, like, he's talking about providing for the birds in the air, the flowers that are in the field. And he wraps it all up, and he simply says, like, aren't you more valuable than they are? In other words, church, like, don't you know how much he loves you? Don't you know that I love you so much and that you're more valuable to me than the birds in the air and the flowers in the field that you're made in the image of God and that I care about you so much more than these things over here? I love the way that Paul talks about this in Romans chapter eight, but he says this, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all these things? In other words, like if he's willing to send us his one and only son to live and die as a substitute for us, to go to a cross, to suffer, bleed, and die, that you and I may be saved. If he's willing to do all of that, then don't you believe that he knows you, that he loves you, that he sees what's going on around you and is able to provide for you better than you can provide for yourself? In other words, like if he has that kind of track record, don't you think you can trust him in the middle of this season right now? I mean, it reminds me of a few years back, uh, the whole family, my extended family, we all went to, Walt, uh, to Disney World in Florida uh, took Caleb for the very first time, and we had a blast, but it was in the middle of July. July is a terrible month to go to Disney World. Um, it was incredibly hot, but I remember on the first day that we were there, we were wrapping up the day, and everybody's tired and exhausted, and, and he, starts, he starts complaining a little bit. And he's like, Daddy, Daddy, I feel like I'm going to starve to death. You just want me to die out here? Are we ever going to eat? And he starts like, complaining a little bit like that. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, buddy, seriously? Like, you really think I'm going to let you starve to death out here? You think, I'm gonna, you think I'm gonna spend this much money like on plane tickets and a hotel and Disney World and all these kinds of things? You think I'm gonna sit there like it's a small world after all, like 8,000 times going over and over and over again in my head, like just to let you starve to death? Are you kidding me? No, like if I'm willing to do all that for you, if I'm willing to keep you alive and to love you for the first five years of your life, however long it was, if I'm willing to do all that, take you to Florida, drive you there, feed you to date, right? Do all these different things for you. Don't you know that I love you, that I care for you, that I'm able to provide for you in ways that you can't provide for yourself? I mean, it's exactly what Jesus is saying for us right here. I love the way Tony Evans puts it. He says, anxiety for the Christian, it's completely irrational. It means that you believe God can take us to heaven, but he can't handle you on earth. That God is good for eternity, but he's insufficient for time. That he delivered us from damnation, but he won't do the details of our day-to-day lives. And so Jesus is simply saying, hey, like it's not just that it's unhelpful. It's not just that it is damaging to you physically or emotionally or anything like that. It's not just that it's flat out arbitrarily wrong and sinful before God, but it's actually completely irrational for the person who knows the love and the power of God. And so Jesus comes back and he gives us the solution in verse 33. And he wraps it all up and he simply says this. He says, church, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. And what I love about this promise is once again, he's not saying that the things don't matter, like your job, your health, your savings, all the different things. In fact, again, in verse 20, he says, I know that you need these things. Like he knows that these are important things. He's not minimizing the things that are there. All he's saying is that We have to seek him first. We have to be able to keep first things first. We got to keep his kingdom first. We got to pursue him and his righteousness first. And when we do, all these other things will be added unto you. In other words, there's a condition here. When we seek him first, his righteousness, his ways, then all these other things will be added unto you. In other words, church, like the things will come when he's number one is how we've talked about it here in the past. I'll never forget the first time in my adult life that the economy crashed. Um, it was scary for us. It was about 12 years ago, about 2008. It was the early days of our seminary career. Um, we did not have a whole lot in our bank account or in our life at that time. And so uh, there was a lot of fear that was taking place there. But it was just in those early days. And we had just moved into this beautiful townhouse that, uh, quite honestly, it was uh, above and beyond anything we probably should have purchased and gotten into. And so... Honestly, it was one of these things that I went and I, I toured this townhouse and uh, my eyes got way too big. I started just falling in love with it. It was beyond anything that we could afford. Nevertheless, I came home and I talked Kat into it and uh, we took a plunge and we signed a two-year lease agreement on this thing. And, and uh, honestly, it was just, it was one of these things we laid there on the first night and I'll never forget laying there. Neither one of us could sleep. We're looking around kind of going, what did we just do? Did we just make the biggest mistake of our lives? We knew that it was, a, it was a decision of disobedience, and, and so we felt sick about it from the very beginning. Nevertheless, we'd signed a two-year lease. Well, shortly after that, the economy crashed. There went a large part of our income. We were both students at seminary, and so that was very, very costly, and we were not getting reprieve for that. And so we immediately began just praying and saying, Lord, if there's anything that you want to do here, uh, we'll take the out. If there's any way that we can get out of this lease, we'll downgrade. We'll get back to where we need to be. Uh, we will minimize our lifestyle, we'll honor you once again, and we just want to repent of the, this ridiculous decision that we made. And so by God's grace, he gave us an out. Literally the next month after we started praying, we're only a few months into this two-year lease, and the landlord comes to us and he says, hey, just want to let you know, we're going to be selling this home and that 
at any given time, you may, you may be asked to move out. And so we just, eyes wide open, we just said, okay, well, if that's going to be the case, then, then we want to take it. Can we go ahead and move out right now so that we're not stuck when the time comes? And he says, yeah, I'll go ahead. You can break your lease. I'll let you out right now. And so we just saw that as God's hand saying, hey, I'm going to take you at your word. You asked for this, and we're going to come and give it. And so it's exactly what we did. We found another apartment that was much more modest. It was well within our uh, price range. And uh, we gladly downsized right then. And church, like, I'll just tell you this. Like, we, we had more joy and we had more satisfaction in that tiny little apartment than we ever did in that beautiful giant townhouse that we dreamed of for so long. About a year after that, we downsized again. Uh, this time just because we wanted to and thought it was a responsible thing to do. And uh, a year after that, we downsized once again, and we just kept going, and we just kept going. And church, you know what God provided for us in the middle of that season that was better than the sweetest place to live? The word that just keeps coming to mind is contentment. He produced in us a contentment with the things that he's given to us that we never had before. It was satisfaction. It was an ability to have joy and peace no matter what was happening around us in the middle of that season. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, like I know what it is to have a lot of things and a lot of resources and I know what it is to have nothing. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And church, what I'm wondering today is I'm wondering if the word that some of you need to be holding on to today is very simply that, contentment. Even more than praying, hey, God, would you bail us out? God, would you, would you make it to where we don't have to sacrifice anything? God, would you make it as easy as possible? Maybe the word that we need to be holding on to today is very simply that, God, would you make us a people that are content with the things that you've already provided, that we would be satisfied that we would experience a peace inside of us. Church, I'm telling you, like he knows how to provide all those things. When we seek him first, he will provide all the other things. All the other things will be given unto you. Even better than a bailout, he can provide for you contentment in the middle of that thing. Some of us are sitting here and we are full of anxiety and fear because we have a legitimate financial need. And I just want to remind you, church, he is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's able to provide for your needs. On top of that, he wants to. He says, ask of me, uh, ask of me and I'll provide for you. He's the God who in his infinite love sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to live the life we could not live and to suffer and die upon a cross that you and I can have eternal life. Church, he loves to provide on our behalf. That's who he is, church. Some of us are worried about sickness and pain in this season. Paul's gonna look at you in the, in the scriptures and say, yeah, like I've been there and done that. I know what it is to be sick and I know what it is to, to be persecuted. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he's gonna say, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. In other words, they beat me almost to the point of death. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. In other words, like I know what pain is. Like I know what it is to be sick. I know what it is to have difficulty in this world. Nevertheless, here it is. Like I still consider the sufferings of this present time in Romans 8, 18, not worthy to be compared to the glory which is still to come. In other words, like I'm so consumed with seeking his kingdom first. I'm so consumed with him and I'm so confident about how this whole thing is gonna end that the joy of that day is able to eclipse the pain that I'm experiencing right now. Like church, can you imagine what it's like to, to not worry about sickness and death or pain or sadness or any of those things? I, I'm thinking about, uh, one of my heroes in the faith, Betty Snell. Betty Snell, for about the majority of her life, for about 50 years, she was a missionary with Wycliffe, and she was 
uh, working with a completely unreached people group in the jungles of Peru. They had no language, and uh, they, were help, they were helping them create a written language. And uh, I got to know her a number of years ago. She came back off of the field when her husband passed away, and she continued working on this dictionary for the Machaginga people group over there. And uh, she just finished up this project and was, headed to go, was about to go back to Peru. And I remember talking about her with, at this point in time. She was about 80 years old. There's a lot of difficulties. She's going to be sleeping in a hammock, literally in the jungles of Peru at that time. There was malaria that was spreading. A lot of people were dying from that at, the po- at that point. There's a lot of difficulties there. And I remember saying, Betty, like, aren't you concerned about your health and going back at this point in time? And uh, I'll never forget what she said. She just looked at me and she says, Aaron, I've been ready, ready to go for the past 50 years. The Lord is going to take me whenever he wants to take me. Like that part's not up to me. Church, like I, I'm telling you, your fear and your anxiety can absolutely melt away. But here it is, church. You have to seek him first. He has to be first and foremost in your heart and in your mind. You have to seek him first above everything. And your fear and your anxiety about the things that are going on in your world, they will melt away. And so, church, that is my hope and my prayer for you, wherever you may be, however this may be impacting you today, that you would be a person and that we together would be a church that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above and beyond anything else, and that we would be confident that all the other things that we're praying for would then be added unto you. I'm going to invite us to come, and wherever you may be, maybe you're in your living room with your family, I'm going to invite you to bow with me and pray right now, and then we're going to go and we're going to pray uh, together. But Father, we just want to tell you that we love you. God, we do trust you in this season. And Father, our honest confession is that trust is not very easy right now because there's a lot of things that are making us afraid. And Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ right now. Father, I pray that fear would be removed in Jesus' name, that you would replace it with peace and a profound confidence that you are a God who loves us and wants to provide for us exactly what we need, not necessarily what we want, but exactly what we need. And so Jesus, I pray that faith would arise right now that we would rest in you. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that seeks you first, your righteousness, your kingdom, above and beyond everything else, and that we would see you are a faithful God who provides. Church, where you are, I just want to invite you right now, would you take a minute and just pray silently for yourself, first and foremost, that God would come and that he would give you courage, that he would give you faith for today, that all the other things that are in front of your view, I pray that they would dissipate, And that you would be able to see Jesus above and beyond every other problem, every other thing that's bringing you fear today. So where you are, just take a minute and to yourself, would you just pray for yourself? God, give me faith, give me courage, give me strength for today to be able to see you bigger than the things that I'm facing. Now I want to encourage you, would you pray with whatever group you're in uh, out loud? And I want you to think about a specific group of people that you have a burden for. Uh, Maybe these are people in the restaurant industry, the service industry. They have no more jobs. They have their income slashed in half, really fully. Uh, Maybe it's it's the elderly and people that are most vulnerable. You need to pray for, for protection for them. Maybe it's parents who are now homeschooling and trying to 
maneuver those muddy waters. You need to pray for peace for them. But would you come together and would you just think about a group that you have a particular burden for and together out loud would someone from your group pray for them uh, as I will right now. But Father, I do pray specifically for those who are in the restaurant industry. Lord, we hurt for them. We know that you love them, that you see them. Would you be their provider in this season? God, would you miraculously come alongside them, sustain them today, give them hope. Father, I pray that you would provide, and God, that you would elevate the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the meantime. So right now, with your group, would you just go before the Lord and someone pray out loud uh, for these people? Father, we praise you and thank you that you invite us to cast all of our anxiety upon you, knowing that you do care for us. And so, Lord, that is what we do today. Father, all of our fear, all of our worry, all of our anxiety, all the different problems that are right in front of our face, God, we take them off of our own shoulders. We're glad that you placed them at your feet, knowing that you love us, knowing that you can provide for us. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? And Father, would you fill us with that hope? Would you fill us with faith and with strength today? And God, would you add your number daily, those who are being saved? We do love you. We praise you. We thank you this day. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Well, church, we sure do love you a whole lot. And as I said, I miss seeing you guys quite a bit. And I can't wait for the time that we get to go to be together again. Next Thursday, actually this upcoming Thursday, I want to let you know that we are going to be coming together as a church body to do a day of prayer from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock p.m., uh, you or your family can sign up for a 30-minute in, uh, interval to commit to praying uh, for the community, for the church at this time. I want to invite you to join us at dallasbible.org backslash prayer. Again, there's going to be links on the website that you're viewing this from today. You can find it on our website as well. But again, dallasbible.org backslash prayer. We're going to do full day of prayer, 7 to 7, this upcoming Thursday and next Thursday too. So please get signed up today. Join us with that as we, uh, as we just expect God to move in mighty and powerful ways. But I do love you. I want to encourage you to stick around. We're going to wrap it up with one more song. So love you and we'll see you next week.